Good morning. We are, if you have been with us, some of you have not, in a series called Great Things in the early chapters of the book of Joshua. We will be back there this morning, so open your Bible, turn on your device to Joshua chapter 5. That's where we'll be in a message titled, Choosing to Live as New People. Choosing to Live as New People. There are times in life, important times in life for all of us, where you find yourself um, in a new place. Now, sometimes it's um, it's chosen for you, right? Uh, But sometimes you choose it yourself, but when you get there, whether it's chosen for you or you choose it yourself, I mean, a new place in life, not just geography, but sometimes geography, you get to a new place, but you get there, you wake up that day and you're unprepared, right? It's like you, you, you have to decide how you're going to live your life. And I can think of a couple quick ones when I think of that concept. When I was uh, 15 years old, my dad died when I was a kid. My mother, uh, was, I was raised by a single mom. She got remarried. And we all of a sudden, it was kind of like, for those of you who are old enough to remember the Brady Bunch, okay? It was kind of like that. You know, two big families came together. And I remember that day, right? that I moved, right? I had only lived in, I lived in one house my entire life, you know, up till 15 years old, same neighborhood, you know, uh, same group of friends, and one day I left that house and I moved into another house and had another bedroom and another place and, and new neighbors and, and, and boom, you know, here's my new life. Tw- almost 20 years ago, or 2000, not quite 20 years, the year 2000, I was a short-term relief aid missionary in, in the small little country of Kosovo in south-central Europe. Another one of these experiences, where you just find yourself in a new place, and after, after two very long uh, plane rides, and then a very long uh, drive over some you know, bumpy roads, I found myself at my new address. It was very late uh, at night, it was dark, we walked into this house, there was no electricity, there was no heat, it was the dead of winter, January of that year, and I can still remember, we went to bed, me and the few friends I were with, these guys that were my, my partners in this, in this mission, we went to bed literally with our shoes on, with our gloves on, with our hat on, just got on the floor of this place and wrapped ourselves in a, uh, a sleeping bag and went to bed. And that was our new home, right? Well, when that kind of thing happens, and in a manner of speaking, it's happening a little for us here as a church. It's happening in the passage we'll look at. You have to decide how you want to live your life. How are you going to live now that you are in this new place? You can either decide that you're going to complain about your new environment, right? I'm going to sit there and complain about this house. I thought I had just, you know, all these visions of grandeur as I was going to be this great missionary, you know. I can either decide I'm going to complain about my new environment, get nostalgic about the place that I left, or decide that you're going to open yourself up to something new, Right? to what God may have for your life in this season, what God may have for us as a church in this season, even when you can't fully see it, okay? Choosing to live as God's new people. Let's pick up where we left off. That's what I think is happening in this passage, but there are important lessons for us as a congregation. 
Joshua chapter 5 is a little history. Some of you have been with us. They finally crossed into the promised land. Most of us know that story, right? The people of God under Joshua's leadership after a very long time in the wilderness get into the new promised land. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Now when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. Good question. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. That's the story that precedes this one in the Old Testament. All the people that came out and had been circumcised, or excuse me, all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness, the second generation, during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them, That they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us. A land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised. They remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal, which means to roll, to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, these people moved into the promised land, but it's important if you read chapter 4, right after they walked, got through the Jordan River, okay? Not too different from the earlier story of 40 years earlier when they walked through the Red Sea, it says the waters quickly closed behind them, right? This, there was no turning back. This was a group of people, in this case, the people of God, who got into a new place. And yes, they had some sense of where they were going. Spies hadn't been set into the land, but they had not lived here before. But for this group of people, there was no option to go back. If you remember the story of their parents, when they went through the Red Sea, they were were in the wilderness, and they didn't like where they were living. They didn't change their attitude. They didn't say, listen, God has brought us here for a reason. They began to get nostalgic about, believe it or not, Egypt. Nostalgic about being a slave. Nostalgic about being a second-class citizen, making bricks without straw in Egypt. They said, listen, we're tired of Moses. We don't want to live here anymore. The food's not good. The diet's not good. We want to go back to being slaves, right? This group of people, they didn't have that option, right? The waters closed behind them. That history was forever 
behind them. But let me say this. Depends how long you've been in church. The promised land or the land of promise, even if those who haven't been a, in church probably for many years would, would know this story, right? It's, it's, a, it's a common idea, the, the people of God coming into the land of promise. Let me say something. It was no picnic, right? The promised land in this story, right? It was God's, this promise went back hundreds of years, okay? Hundreds of years, all the way back 500 years, to when God called Abraham, an old man, out of nothing, right? This old man out of gas, no kids, and he says, I'm going to birth a nation with you. And I'm going to, and he, right there in Genesis 12, the opening of the Bible, he makes a promise for this property. And all that went along with it, it was 500 years in the making. But let me say something, it was not a picnic, right? It was in one sense, some of you know this story, they, the, the, the shorthand is it was a land full of milk and honey, right? And what that meant was that it was land of it was it was a rich land. It was a land of a lot of blessings. It was agriculturally rich. It was a beautiful land. I think the Bible calls it that in other words. It and it turns out if you read this account, it was a beautiful land. It was full of milk and honey. When the spies went in, it took two men to carry out a cluster of grapes. But it wasn't just but it, at the same time that it was a land of great blessings, right? It was also, at the same time, had greater challenges than anything the people of God had experienced in the wilderness in the 40 years before, right? It's interesting that it was a land of great blessings, but it was also a land of great challenges. And this, guys, uh, is a, um, a lesson about the life of faith. That's true, always true. Right? With God's blessings come God's challenges. That's how it works. And what they most needed to learn in this moment, and maybe what we most need to learn in our moment when we have great blessings, we have great opportunities. Right? But we have to decide how we are going to live. How are we going to face up to them? How are we going to live in a new place? How are we going to live in a new environment? How are we going to live with a new calling, a new burden, a new opportunity? Right? To see people like you saw on that video, right? Nick and Rob and Margaret in this community who have never stepped their life in the church. Margaret says she's never read a Bible before, right? That's a great opportunity. But it will come with great challenge, right? And what they needed to learn, what we most need to learn, is it's not about our capacity. It's about God's capacity, right? This is the lesson. This, he wants to demonstrate his power in my life. He wants to demonstrate his power in your life. He wants to demonstrate his power in the life of this church. My first point in this brief message, when God acts, people take notice, right? Look at how this first verse is read. Now when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast. In other words, it was a land of promise. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of opportunity. It was rich. It was beautiful. Better than Egypt. Certainly better than the wilderness. But it didn't come without some challenges, right? There were people living in that land. There was obstacles. There was difficulties. Not only obstacles and difficulties, there were enemies and they were bigger and they were stronger. Some of you know this story, okay? But... But, the people, right? God split the Jordan, right? God did something. They, it says the kings had heard. They saw the people, right? But God split the Jordan, but they walked through it. 
Their lives were changed, but it was clear from the people in this land, right? They, it says the kings crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, for they had heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan, right? They had walked through. They were, their lives were changed, but it was clear that this came from God. Listen, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus... If we want to grow as a church, right? If we want to grow, you have to learn, this is a big lesson, to put your fears in context, right? You got to put your fears in context. There's, if you ever get some, some preacher guy like me on TV or in some church says, listen, you know, you come to God, you give your life to Christ in the context of the Christian church, you do this and all your fears are going to go away. God is going to make all the, you know, the, the rough places smooth. He's going to take out the fears. He's going to take out the anxieties. Your life is going to be like a, a glorified retirement. Listen, go in the other direction, right? That's not what the Bible says at all, Right? That's not what the Bible says. God challenges us. Fears are a part of life, right? But we need to, as we face those fears, as we face new challenges, we need to put them in context. And listen, and this is what the, even, the, even the, 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 the Amorite kings, they did it. Sometimes it's funny how the people outside of your life, right, even people, non-Christian people, they understand the Christian faith better than you do. The Amorite king said, listen, I get this. These are just the same people that have been living in the wilderness for years. They just happened to walk through this Jordan. But they knew that the, we have heard of the Lord and what he has done to the kings east of the Jordan. We heard about the Red Sea 40 years ago. We're still talking about it. And we know what God has done, right? You gotta not only put your fears into context, but you need to put other people's fears into context. So this is, you know, we, 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 if you're like me, you walk around and think, you know, I got all these fears and anxieties. You know, our, my fears and anxieties are a mountain size, but I just assume that all other people around me have none, right? It's this sort of fiction that we tell ourselves that people around us don't have fears. There's a great psalm, write it down for sake of time, Psalm 73. It's one of these great confessions. And it's this one of these great leaders of Israel and he says, listen, you know, it's almost like a platitude. He says, the Lord is good to, uh, uh, to Israel. The God is good, the Lord is good to those who are pure in heart. It's like he's starting a poem. And then he says, but as for me, my foot has almost slipped. And he said, I have become envious of all the other people around me. This is a, a close paraphrase because they don't have any problems. They don't have any burdens. All the other people around me, it's just, you know, sunny side up. All the other people around me, I don't, they don't have any of the problems that I have. God's good to some people, but God is not good to me. And he said, when I sat and I thought about this, he said, I couldn't understand it. It overwhelmed me. And then he says this in the middle of the psalm, Psalm 73. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Amen? Until I, until, what does that mean? Until I stopped, uh, uh, I put my fears in context. Until I entered the sanctuary, then it all made sense to me, right? Let me tell you something. The people all around us, like the ones you saw in that video, the people that you live near, the people that I live near, listen, people, some in this room, but a lot of people outside this room, listen, they have very real fears, and very real anxieties, and all the money in the world does not provide a way to truly address them, right? The only way, the only 
God who can move real mountains and open real rivers when it comes to the human experience is the God that you and I serve. And our job is simply to share our lives openly and honestly with them, right? When God acts, people take notice. Second thing you learn in this important passage I think is helpful. We can learn from this moment about our own. Joshua is saying this in the middle of verse 9. Today is the first day of the rest of your life, okay? Today is the first day. That's what Joshua was saying. And in a way, it's a, it is a summary for this passage, but I think it's a summary for the entire Christian life, right? Today is the first day of the rest of your life. This passage teaches us something, this story, about the promises of God, okay? Remember the promised land. As I said to you, if you really want to you know, do the homework on this idea, it goes all the way back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12 to the story of Abraham, which was more or less, give or take, 500 years in the past. But let me tell you what this passage tells us about the promises of God. It tells us this, that despite our disobedience, Despite our unbelief, despite the fact that very often we are our own worst enemies, that we let our fears get the best of us, the promises of God ultimately are unstoppable. Right? That's what this passage tells us. Right? Remember what he says. It didn't say the people, the first generation, were, were self-centered, self-serving, gave into their fears, and God just, you know, judged them and killed them. No, it doesn't say that. It says, listen, the, the first generation gave in to their fears. They were disobedient. They were overwhelmed. The spies came back from the promised land and they said, guess what? God is right. God is true. It is full of milk and honey. The produce is unbelievable. It's beautiful. It's rivers. It's lakes. It's mountains. It's beautiful. But it also has some challenges and some um, big people and some difficulties in there as well. And the people said, two of them said, let's go. Giddy up, Joshua and Caleb. And the rest of them said, this is too difficult. It's going to be too hard. God isn't big enough, and their fears eventually overwhelmed them. But guess what? God, in his mercy, he didn't wipe them out. He said, okay. If you, listen, there's no point in going into the promised land. There's no point in going into a new place if you're not going to understand how to live in it. That's the point of this. Do you know how to put your fears in context in partner with God to accomplish what it is that God wants you to do in your life, in us, in, li if, in the life of this church? If you don't, then there's no point. And God says, well, then there's no point in going in. So God didn't say, I'm gonna wipe you all out. He says, you can just live in the wilderness and we'll live until you all die off and then I'll, I'll give this invitation to your sons, right? That's what's happening in this passage. Unbelief and disobedience, here's the principle. Unbelief and disobedience, my life, your life, the life of our church, can delay the fulfillment of God's promises, but it can't stop it. That's the beautiful thing about God. God says, I'm gonna bring you in anyway. I'm just gonna wait for your sons to get old enough. He says, now that you're here, okay? Now that you're here, I want a fresh start, right? Isn't this beautiful? This is the gospel. I want a fresh start. Today, verse 10, or verse 9, excuse me, the Lord said to Joshua, I, this is what God has done, right? 
The gospel is not about what you can do, meet God halfway. It's not about your good works or your good efforts. It's not about bootstrapping. It's about opening yourself up to what God has done for you. Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. That is such a big statement. That's why this place has been called Gilgal, which means to roll. What does that mean? Slow down with me for one minute. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt for you. What does the word reproach mean? It means this. It's, it's, it's when people have a profound disappointment in you, right? A profound sense of shame. I failed you. I failed my marriage. I failed my company. I failed God. I've been caught in my hands in the cookie jar. Everybody knows about it. I have a, a, you know, a, a, a mark on my life. My, 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 my CV, my resume just has all kinds of, of dirt and, 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 and wrong things on it, right? And you know about it. That's what reproach means. It's walking around with a cloud around your head. And what he's saying is, for this generation, it wasn't just a bad weekend, right? Their entire generation, why weren't they circumcised? Strange things to talk about, but why? there's a reason for this. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. And their parents were so dejected, so discouraged, so defeated, not because God made their life hard, not because God threw them in, in some kind of prison, because God just said, if you don't have the faith to go into the promise, then you can just live in the wilderness. And they had to live their entire lives, right, in defeat and discouragement and have to sit there every year to hear about the great story of the, the, the parting of the Red Sea and all the miracles that God did. And then they had to say, but we didn't have the courage to do what God wanted us to do. Imagine those are your moms and yours are your dads. But God says, listen, today I have rolled away the reproach. That is the long-standing sense of disappointment and shame that you have carried around with you. Now you're, you're, you have and your parents have a failure because you did not do what God called you to do. Okay, Now some of us have that. Right, But this is the beauty of the gospel. What is Joshua saying? It's gone, it's forgotten, it's forgiven, it's rolled away. Right? Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. I'm taking that all off. It's gone, it's cleansed, it's removed. It's the gospel according to Joshua. And let me tell you something, the more you look in the Bible, Old Testament and New, the more your eyes will see it. Now let me say something very quickly. Why circumcision? What an odd thing, right? Is that an odd thing, circumcision, to talk about that? It's a big part of the Bible. Why do this? These guys and these ladies, this, this, this community, they're in the promised land. Long time waiting, 40 years for this generation, but 500 for the whole nation. They're finally here. They know in their case, it's not our case, but their, their promise land had to do with military conquest, right? And the, the, it seemed odd that the first thing that you do Right? If I was general so-and-so and we get onto the, you know, some battlefield somewhere and we all get off of our, our land carriers and our, and, our, and our helicopters and we say, listen, now, first thing we're going to do you know, is, is uh, we're going we're gonna to all get to circumcise all the men in the nation and we're just going to take some guys to heal. Okay? That doesn't seem like a very smart move. Right? That seems like a very vulnerable and stupid move. Why do that? Very important. You get this. It's not just some old ancient you know, thing. They did it because circumcision 
was a sign. It, it was a connection to their past. And that connection was Abraham, 500 years earlier. The guy who was on their dollar bills, in a manner of speaking. The guy who was their, the, the, their, their great patriarch was Abraham. And, there, and, and what Joshua wanted to do, what the Lord wanted to do, was to give these people a connection to Abraham and the covenant of Abraham. But it's real quick. What is the covenant of Abraham? The covenant of Abraham is not about the law of God. The covenant God made with Abraham, it's not the covenant of Moses. The covenant of Abraham goes back 400 years before there ever was a Moses. 400 years before there ever was a Ten Commandments. 400 years before there ever was a Mount Sinai was God's uh, commitment. And, And the covenant of Abraham was not about law and order. It was about promise and belief. And God said this to Abraham. Abraham, an old man out of gas, a nobody. He's, he's, he's the definition of a nobody. And God came to him for that reason. He said, listen, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll believe in me, if you have the courage and the capacity and the willingness to believe these outlandish promises that I'm going to give an old 90-year-old man, that out of you, you're not just going to have one kid, you're going to birth a nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who you bless. And through you, through you, that is through the people out of you, called the nation of Israel, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. Guys, when Jesus stood on that mountain, right, 2,500 years later, we call it the Great Commission, that's where he was going back, right? He's just dusting off the promise to Abraham, and he said, listen, go into all the world of all nations. That's what was going on here. But it was really all about promise. That's what it was about. And it says they brought them in. And let me say something about circumcision. It's an odd, it's an odd um, experience, okay? It's an odd thing to talk about. But let me tell you something. It was a sign. It, was, it pointed to something greater. And what it pointed to, one verse, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, okay? It pointed to the heart. Deuteronomy 36. The Lord your God this is going back in the book of Deuteronomy, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live, right? They were circumcised. And then it says in Joshua chapter verse eight that we just read, they remained there in the camp until they were healed. Now, it wasn't just physical healing, of course. It was a spiritual healing, right? Because the entire nation, in a manner of speaking, had allowed a skin to grow over their hearts. See, that was the problem. And they were, and like their parents, they, they had no capacity to walk with God and believe in God and said, listen, before we go forward, there's no point in going forward. There's no point in trying to live your life in this new land of opportunity unless you can take the hardness off of your heart. And guys, this is the application for this message for you and me, right? Before God is going to ask you, before God is going to ask us to do something new, to live in a new kind of place, to serve him, and to exercise a different kind of faith, we have to deal with that which is holding us back, right? 
And it's the same thing for you and me. What, what, is the, what is the skin that grows over our hearts? What is the reproach of Egypt? Let me give you some examples. You think about it and we're going to pray. How about shame that you have been carrying around with you, right? That you've not been willing. Today I roll away the reproach of Egypt. It's the shame, the, dis, the sense of disappointment or failure that you've been carrying around because of some sin in your life. Or how about bitterness, that you've been carrying around in your life because things didn't work out the way you wanted to because somebody gave you the shaft because you believe God didn't give you what you thought he should. How about unforgiveness? How about a sense of failure? How about an overwhelming sense of loneliness? Or how about just the sense that you felt that God is done with you and God doesn't care about you, right? I think that's what many of these people felt. But if you really want to experience what it is that God wants for you, if you really want to experience what God has for you, if you really want to know what it means that today is the first day of the rest of your life, you need to be willing to have a fresh circumcision of your heart. Amen? Amen. So I want to pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Right now in this room, we're just going to take a minute, okay? Take a minute. But we are in God's place, in his sanctuary. When God acts, people take notice. And if you'd say honestly, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, as honest as I can be, whether, you, whether you're a longtime Christian or maybe you're just a friend of a friend here today and say, listen, I have, um, I need a circumcision of the heart. <laughs> I need um, to have a, I've had a skin uh, uh, grow over my heart between God and in, uh, between me and God, a sense of shame, a sense of bitterness, a sense of unforgiveness, right? A sense of um, uh, a failure, a sense of loneliness, right? And I want to say, God, uh, um, I want to I confess that today. I'm asking you, just like you said to Joshua, today I will roll back, right? Uh, the reproach of Egypt. I'm going to roll back the reproach in your life. I want to I I circumcise your heart. I want to walk into a new relationship with you. If that's your story, just where you sit, no one's looking, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Wherever you are in this room, thank you. Yeah, just raise your hand up high so I can see it. It's between you and God, but I can see it. Let me pray for you. Dear God in heaven, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for all that you have done, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would hear the prayers of the men and women in this room, that you'd hear, Lord, the honest cries and and confessions of the people in this room. My heart that says, Lord, um, remove this shame, remove this bitterness, remove this unforgiveness. Take my my failings and my, my loneliness, my sense of being left behind, and renew, uh, Lord, my heart. Fill it, Lord, with your love and, and draw me closer to you. Be, be my wisdom, be my strength, be my life, and help me, help us as a congregation walk into a whole new way of life. Now, guys, let me say one more thing. Heads still bowed, eyes closed. Just listen to these words. 
The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna. Why bring that up? Here's the idea. Here's the point. Here's the calling. Here's the, here's the moment, right? In a manner of speaking, we are in a new place, and we have to find a new way to live. And what this passage tells us is it's time to stop asking God to do for us what he's called us to do as his church, right? The manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. What does that mean for us? It means this. We need to change our expectation of God. What God will do in the future is different than what he's done in the past. It means we can do so much more than we think we can do if we're willing to open our lives to experience a circumcision of the heart and to go places that we've not gone before. Jesus said to a desperate man with a very sick child, everything is possible for the one who believes. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Amen.